Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Stephen Reichard. He's the founder of two coding companies. Stephen, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. You're more than welcome. So thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. I, I know that in your background you said you studied, I guess, chemistry in yeah. in high school. What was the original plan? Like what, what was your path? Yeah, good question. I think I always had sort of a passion for chemistry. I know that's sometimes a bit weird, right? Not many people have that, but I just liked it. So for me, it was an obvious way of going. I wanted to do something with chemistry. Didn't know really what. So I went into chemistry, did basically uh, analytical chemistry, and a little bit detail. And after that, I started to work in a laboratory, which was a paint laboratory on the chemical analytical part of that company. So that's how I started. And then, of course, I got in contact with, with paint. And then I started going into the product development of paint. So that's how everything started. Wow. Yes. So in the product, your product development function, how did that whole process work? And I know R&D process, but within the paint or coding world, how did that whole sort of go-to market look like in the, from an R&D perspective? I think it depends, of course, because coding is quite a vast segment, right? You've got all these different kinds of segments within coding. I basically started in the architectural coatings, which is a little bit less technical, I would say, if you compare it with the marine coatings or really the industrial coatings and those kind of things. So it was a bit more, I would say, consumer-driven. So what does a consumer want? How do they perceive it? Uh, an easy application. So those, yeah, those items you took into consideration when developing a product. Mm. Right. So that was part of the, in French, we say cahier de charge or the product profile. And then based on sort of trial and error, because I think the chemistry of paint is also a lot of experience, right? Because they're not always straightforward lines, how things will, uh, how things will go. And based on some experience, trial and error, you come up with a sort of a product that fits those criteria of the client. And then you do some market tests and then you, you learn and you see, and that's how you roll out the product. Mm, so, like you said, consumer-driven, whereas marine and stuff, I guess maybe more sort of engineering specifications, all that sort of things, longer timelines of testing. That's what you're saying? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And a lot of, uh, I think, what do you call it, uh, test certificates, right, are really needed in terms of uh, anti-corrosion and all these kind of things. And in the architectural, it's, it's uh, of course, it's protection, but it's a different kind of protection. Right, you don't have your paint exposed to seawater or uh, very low temperatures and all these kind of things, right? So that's, I think those are the the main things, and that's what I liked as well, right? So it, it becomes really tangible because what you develop is something you potentially, as a homeowner or a builder, could use as well, right? And that's not too far away. A marine ship to paint a marine ship, not everybody will do it in a spare time, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe a couple, but. So that, that's, I think, what's the nice thing about it. 
Wonderful. Yeah, you, I guess, uh, yeah, you can see it in the world. You can see the impact you made from something that you worked on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Now from, I mean, from there, you're in the lab. Did you stay in R&D or did you move out of there? No, I stayed a couple of years in R&D. So, uh, of course, started in the Netherlands and then I got the opportunity to go to France and, and do R&D there as well for a couple of years. It's a good experience. And then after that, when we came back, I basically wanted to step a bit further, not so much, let's say, in sort of a career-wise, but basically be closer to the client, right? So from developing something for a client, being more, I would say, in contact with a client. So I moved from R&D to product management, where you are much more on the sort of the marketing side of the, of the product, or between, I would say, the technical and the marketing in. So that was, for me, something which I... Which, which was a nice progress because that's a, I really like to do that. Right? So I did that then again for a, for a couple of years to get more experience with what our really market needs, right? Not only talking about the product profile, but what are trends, what are things where the customer really experience, what are the, the customer insights, so to say. And based on that, start really working on new kind of developments and really implementing them in terms of marketing, packaging, and all these kind of things. Mm. I mean... You're a product manager interfacing with the clients. That's a that's a very typical model. Do you see value of the R and D team interfacing directly with the client, or do you believe that a project manager has to sort of translate that insight and bring that into the R and D? What's your views on that? I think it, again, it depends a bit on the segment, right? And I think if you get a highly technical segment, I think it's really important that the R and D is much more in direct contact with, with the client, so to say, because they it is more technical related, right? So if you go a little bit to the left, it has a huge impact on technology which you would use, for example. When you go a bit more, I would say, when you're consumer focused, it is important, but I think a bit less because let's say you will a part is let's say a product, right? So the technical part of the product, but another part is basically also the marketing of the product. So if I take an example of a totally different industry, maybe take the, okay, let's say take Coca-Cola or something. And this, of course, a part of the, the technicalities of producing the Coca-Cola itself, but a big part is how you position it and how you market it, right? That doesn't have always influence on how an R&D person will develop it. And I think the further you go into that, uh, I would say, do-it-yourself or consumer-driven products, more and more the marketing part starts playing a role and the technical part needs to be consistent, of course, good quality products, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not really necessary to be in really direct contact, I think, with consumer all the time. Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense. So from your product manager role, what happened from there? Did you start a company after that or did you go deeper into the, the product or the organizational side? No, after product management, I basically again went abroad. So I went to, to, to the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, and, and went a step further and went to do brand management. Right? So then uh, further a step into marketing. Did that for a couple of years and then went a step further and went to area management. So I went from all the way from technical all the way to being responsible for the end process, sales, organization, logistics, and all and those kind of things. Right? So that, that basically made me a bit more all-rounder right? And, and to understand the whole process of what it means to develop, produce, 
sell, market, and distribute a coating, so to say. Yeah. What What are some of the key insights when you were in your branding role in terms of coatings? What were some of the things that weren't as obvious going in that you learned? I think, especially branding, you touch much more the, the real marketing part of it, right? So it's a bit less of the technical part because then other people take care of that, right? I had product managers who were involved in that. I think you're much more focused on what we call consumer insights, where as a if you go, if you truly look at it from a technical perspective, you always think it needs to be a certain amount of technicality needs to be in there. But what does the customer really, is he really looking for? Right. Um, and I think that can really change the way of positioning your product. Not so much what you think it should be, but how the customer really perceives it to be and, and, and what he really needs it for. And that's why he's going to your company or your brand. And I think those are the main insights call it the why of a customer, right? That you really focus on that and that you really start to understand why that is happening. Because at that stage, I always say, you can buy paint in every corner of the street, but why would they go for your brand, right? And that is the, uh, that's not only that it's a technically good product, right? There are more aspects in it that needs to be considered. So those are, the, I think, really focusing on the consumer insight. I think that was a, a real, yeah, thing I really learned over there. Wonderful. Now, from there, what made you decide to go off on your own? That's a good question. I think I always had something like, oh, I would like to start my own business. But okay, that's always, okay, when do you do it? How do you do it? Uh, all these kind of things. After several years with, yeah, with a, a corporate company, which also but has, has an advantage and disadvantage, really corporate, because there's a lot of rules, right? So, and if you want to do your own thing, then yeah, you sometimes can feel a bit restricted by it. I then said, okay, I was at that age where I said, I have relatively some experience. I have built up a network. If I want to go and, and do something for myself, then maybe this is the time because, okay, when you get older, maybe you say, okay, it's, uh, I don't know if it's the right time, but I felt really was, was, was the right time to do it. Although the market was not that good at that time. But, and I said, okay, you know, let's just give it a shot, right? Let's just uh, use the, I would say the, yeah the talents or the experience that I had, and let's put it into practice. If for whatever reason it doesn't work out, okay, I'm not too old to find a job again, right? So that, that would be okay. And I, then I wouldn't have the, the feeling or the idea, oh, I never done it, right? I never, I never tried it, so those kind of things. So that was, I think, the base of it, where I said, okay, let's go for it. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's a powerful thing. Try to go for it and not, not live with uh, you know, regret of not even trying. So that's wonderful. Now, I mean, you work for a big company. Now you started a new company, a small company. What was that like? You know, what was your insights when you first got into it? <laughs> Steep learning curve on a daily basis. <laughs> I think that's uh, how it is. Right? If you want to learn to swim, you need to jump in, right? So, no, but I think, of course, I had some preparation. I just must have that I just jumped in and, and didn't do anything, and didn't learn anything. But setting up a whole company, and I did, I set up that company in Bahrain, it's on the Middle East, which had some other challenges as well. So a really steep learning curve in how that works, how does the paperwork works on that, uh, all the delays which come with it, and really start, let's say, building something, uh, building sort of a, uh, you already had a network, but really making use of that network, start making steps, putting in your own strategy and adjusting it where needed, et cetera. So I think basically the, call it the startup uh, entrepreneurial 
uh, troubles which you will have with an extra component is that that it was in in a foreign setting right so all the rules were not always that clear so you had to figure it out sometimes but then again I always say if, uh, if it was easy, everybody would have done it, right? And that's you, you try to fill in a gap where not everybody chooses to do it, right? And that's why you then create a sort of a demand or a market for uh, or for yourself. So that's, I think, I think more of the organizational side of the company, setting everything up, getting everything organized, bookkeeping. Those were the things I really had to dig into. Mm. Was there a specific reason you incorporated in that region going in? I was already living in the Middle East, right? So I worked yeah. in Saudi, right? So I had my network in that region. Mm. So basically, it was something we were talking with some, yeah, call it colleagues, friends, potential customers, uh, scouting the market. Okay, this is what I want to do. What, what do you think? And then you say, okay, that is something. In, not everybody, what I set up was sort of a consultancy company, helping companies to get into the Middle East market, right? Helping them with marketing plans, sales, business development, and so on. So in order to do that effectively, I had to be there and also have a company that is registered there so I could live there. So we could, let's say, present other companies in that region. So that was a normal, I would say, flow of setting up a company in Bahrain. Yeah. So and, and my understanding is at some point, it's it more from a service or like, I guess, agency type business to a manufacturing technology type business. How did that happen? I think, of course, I come from a manufacturing background, right? So I, I started with sort of an agency kind of consultancy business, and I think that was a good learning curve for me as well. And I came to the conclusion that for a long-term business where basically you, you rebuild a business and invest in it, if you have your own brand, your own company, so everything which you invest in, it stays in it, right? And potentially you can then sell it as well. An agency business is could be very good and could be profitable, but it's never, I would say the agencies are not 100% yours, right? If for whatever reason the conflict will arise, then of course the, the company where you work with, they have the right to say, okay, I think it's it's enough, right? And then you don't have those agencies anymore. So I came mm -hmm. to that conclusion as well. I said, okay, then what would be then, let's say in sort of a progress, what would be my next step is that I would do the marketing and sales and everything of a certain product, but under my own brand, having those an R&D background, I could also develop these products, right? And then found manufacturing capabilities that, okay, then that can be produced for me as well. So that took a while, but I, I put that plan together. I said, okay, that's, that's worthwhile. We selected some segments, how to go about, and then step-by-step step made an own brand, an own product, and start doing basically the same thing what I did for the other companies, marketing it in different parts of the world. Wonderful. So you started one company. I think you started a second company too. So what got you there as well in the coding side? I think it's always good just to keep on developing, coming, coming from an R&D background, so the, the habit of developing stuff. So one company is basically focused on the acoustical plasters, which we started earlier. And that came about because I used to be involved with acoustical plasters at the corporate company where I was working. So it was sort of a natural progress as well, but that had my interest. The second company is a company focused on antimicrobial coatings. So especially with when COVID-19 hit, that was a topic that started to really play a role. As often happens, right, when, when the lockdown started, because it came a little bit, yeah, I would say suddenly where we saw things were happening in China. Okay, not good, but what can we do? 
And all of a sudden, in, in, in February last year, uh, it's starting to move in different countries, right? And, so, and then I said, okay, and then lockdown starting to happen. And then the question came, so what, what can we do, right, with the knowledge that we have, with the experience that we have, what are the needs in the market, and can we fill in those needs now? And out of that came an antibacterial coating, which I worked on in the past a bit, so also with the R&D, so we started developing it. And then, but that's a totally different segment than the acoustical plasters, right? So it was, was created out of a demand from the market. So we set up the company specifically for companies which are either a bit more in the, I would say, cleaning industry or the ones in the coating industry that are doing certain projects where a demand for antibacterial is, is in place. So we, we set that up and that's now a year and that's, that's moving. Wonderful. So you took the step-by-step process on learning each bit of the chain in terms of the coding business when you started your business. I mean, I always like entrepreneurship. I always like promoting entrepreneurship. But from my point of view, I don't see a lot of it in the coding industry. I have my own theories, but what are your thoughts on that? I think a yeah, good question. I think what, you, what I see, I see a lot of big companies buying up the the medium-sized companies or the, the smaller companies. So, and it depends on the different countries. You saw that also happening in the Netherlands, where I'm from, where you saw those bigger companies starting to buy up smaller ones. So, and then at eventually the real big companies, they survive, right? Or the smaller companies, they go into sort of a niche kind of market where they, where the bigger companies have, and that's not interesting for us, right? So, and when you're dealing with these huge companies, of course, they have a certain strategy. They have their factories to be filled. They have a certain amount of, clients which they need to service so their strategies are made on big volume so on big volume are i would say almost a sort of a commodity kind of products whether whether it's a wall paint floor paint and all these kind of things where it is really difficult for i would say a startup or a smaller company to really get into so in that sense they call it block the market, right? Because they're so big and so strong and then the distribution network is so big that it's really difficult for newcomers to to step in. Either you need to have a lot of money, right? To really step into it. And then still it's difficult eh, because you, those are really big companies you have to compete against. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, my theory is that you need to combine technical expertise with marketing expertise and it's rare to see both those expertise in one person. Mm. So you need to build an organization that has that. And the coatings market isn't a market which attracts a lot of venture capital money. There's the, the tech industry. So I think there's a hurdle there to, to attract that because it's not the in market, right? It's not AI and whatnot. So yeah. that's, probably partially to do with it. I'm sure other people have different theories, but okay. So with the future, with trends, what is the future look like for you? What do you have in, one in store? We're just starting, right? So we're a young company. Of course, what will, what will happen is that we've got these two segments, the acoustical plasters that will, we will expand that, right? We are now in, in Europe, of course, in the Middle East and Asia. Our focus is to step-by-step expand it, right? To get a bigger market share in those markets. And, and that is really possible because we see it growing even within the, in the COVID period, those countries where construction was not stopped, we managed to uh, develop ourselves quite nicely. So that is, I think, something which, which will continue. So in general, for us, the main theme is functional coatings, right? So 
often a coating is, let's say, for protection or color. But we really think on the third component is functional, whether it's acoustic, whether it's uh, antibacterial, whether it is another functionality where you've got, we're working on, for example, a coating which is uh, an anti against malaria mosquitoes, right? So, which is something you can apply on the wall. And that's something which is an interesting functional because that's something, uh, it's different than antibacterial, but it comes a bit in the same range, right? Where you basically try to protect, but not the surface, but the human beings who are in that, in that area. And that's something we're, we're working on to, to developing that because we believe that our strategy is really to roll out things more on an international level because we are so small. We need to have a sort of a scale to do it in different countries. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's for us to, the route forward. Yeah, wonderful. That's great. So one of the questions I'd like to ask is, is there anything that I should have covered or asked you, but didn't? Is there anything you want to talk about further? Good question. I think maybe, let's say if, because um, well, we are, I think, a bit of a, a strange company because we are, uh, I'm located in Malaysia. And we do business all over the world, right? And that's also, I think, a specific kind of business model, which we created in the, I would say, codings industry. Because, okay, in the tech industry, it's a, it's a known thing and they, they can, you can log in wherever it is. And, and I think that's something where we have our organization, a lot of things are outsourced. Uh, and that makes us quite uh, flexible and agile to react, especially in a big market where there's a lot of competition. And uh, although that's maybe not so much of a question, but I think... I speak, of course, a lot with a lot of people that want to go into the entrepreneurship, right? And, and I always say it's important that they find their own way of, of, of doing business, right? Which is maybe not the obvious way for everybody, but if you find your own way and you are able to support your, serve your clients in the best way possible, yeah, then you create sort of a niche. And, and that's the way forward, right? For any entrepreneur to find their own niche, find their own gifting where they are good at. And where you're not so good at, you find other people that can help you out with that. And then uh, step by step, you make a step. That's my philosophy. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much, Stephen. I'm sure the audience got a lot out of it. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash cats talks for video of today's podcast hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes entrepreneurial tips and more see you over there This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.